Hello and welcome to Against Austin on Against Me podcast. I'm Dwayne and I'm here with my buddy Austin. How are you doing? Hello, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. I thought right off the bat, you got a uh, you got a T-shirt you're selling right now. Yeah, so um, we we did a little something for uh, the the other pod that I'm on, and we wanted to show our support for uh, trans people, specifically trans kids in Texas, in light of all the bullshit that's going on down there. And so, what we did, and I say we as kind of a collective. I didn't have a whole lot to do with the planning of this, though I'm very supportive. Is we got a shirt together that says "Protect Trans Kids." Uh, and I'm sorry, protect trans lives. Um, and we had an illustrator come in, design the front with a little pistol on it and the back with a, with a cowgirl. And it's pretty cool. We're, uh, donating all the proceeds to equality, Texas. So we want to, this is more for awareness and we want, uh, to help, you know, give money to where it needs to be. You can pre-order it. <clears throat> It'll be a limited run and then we'll change up the color and probably sell that version through the store but um the first run uh i don't know exactly the number but we're taking pre-orders now and it's at if you catch my cartel uh which is b-i-g-c-a-r-t-e-l dot com and it'll take you right there it's the only item on the store and yeah we're just doing our part i know it's a little thing but we feel very strongly about this and want to do whatever we can that's my plug <laughs> sounds good you know Speaking of t-shirts, Austin, uh, earlier this week in the mail, I got a Apes of the State t-shirt, uh, and we talked about them before. Right. And and speaking of them, I just wanted to read a tweet that I saw earlier today uh, from at Apes of the State, and it says, Austin. <clears throat> oh, no. I don't know, I don't know where this is going. <laughs> about to break stuff. Over these limp biscuit ticket prices. Oh my God. It means, Austin, that I was right. The new metal to folk punk pipeline is real. <laughs> Those are the exact two bands I mentioned. Now, forget people who were fans of both. The people in Apes of the State, they're like, we love limp biscuit. <laughs> I've taken back what I said on the first episode. I am an expert on music. You I do know everything there is to know about folk punk. So I just, I just want to get that out of the way right now. I, I, God, this like this limp biscuit nostalgia thing is really weirding me out because I, I, I really did not like this band when it got going. I've made my feelings very clear on this. Uh, um, I have said it on multiple podcasts about how I felt. And then now I'm like, what am I? Am I the crazy one? Clearly, I am because now everybody's really excited that they're you know back on tour and they've got a new album and all this stuff. And I'm just I'm scratching my head. I'm like, this was a band that I thought was destined for the dustbin, but here we are, 2022, saying fuck well, you to me. <laughs> I di- I didn't look into Limp Biscuit ticket prices, but I did just spend two hundred dollars on my Chemical Romance uh, concert ticket, so I do I do feel where they're coming from on that one. Yeah, well, I don't have a problem with my chemical so, romance. So you you go you go have fun. Dude, I'm gonna tell you something right now, and we'll get into this. Uh I know a lot of the music that I like is not for everybody, and I can listen to it and I and I can understand, like, oh, I get why somebody I don't get how anybody can not like my chemical romance. It's so fucking good. But anyway, uh <laughs> they're going on tour. Limbus gets going on tour. <laughs> uh and 
so apes of the state also plugged that they have a tour coming up and they're not playing anywhere near north carolina but they do have a show in brooklyn austin on may the 14th where do you know where it's at it well, <laughs> <laughs> well I just thought the venues make it. there's a lot of venues here so uh, apparently like, okay this is this is hold on i'll bring this up let me let me look this up so, and so while you're while you're looking for that i will say i will let you in on one thing and i didn't expect it because it didn't happen the first time we recorded but this time you recorded and i think it's just because i've been reading too much about this crap Every time you start to say apes of state, I immediately think of NFTs. Right for like his ape is <laughs> now it's, it's very unfortunate for them. <laughs> <laughs> like, oof, just picture one of those fucking apes. I know, NFTs. I know, I know, whatever. But I think the lead singer's name is April. Uh-huh. And I think I think that's where the name came from. And now you're just like you're stuck with it and you're fucked. You can't yeah. be apes now. Like you that's bad. Apes. Austin, it says here, uh well, what they said on Twitter is, yes, the Brooklyn show is pay at the gate because it's literally in a garden, LOL. <laughs> so somewhere in Brooklyn. Somebody's backyard is what they're probably. Hey, hey, I tell you what, if you guys want to play North Carolina, I got an open field behind my house. I can't hey. promise there'll be people there, but I'll be there. My dog will be there. Uh, so one thing I wanted to talk about this time, if we're going to do a podcast about punk music. I think one of the bands that we have to talk about is the Ramones. Austin, how did you find the Ramones? How did you discover and first listen to them? All right. So I, the Ramones, I was a, I was a bit of a late bloomer when it came to the Ramones because I'm one of those pre-internet babies. So I I, was so worried you were going to have a cool story. Like, Oh, I saw them in Brooklyn in 84. It was the greatest show I've ever been to. No, I think, I I think I, I I knew who they were. And I was like, Oh, you mean that guy that looks like Howard Stern was the, was the initial thought. Um, But I mean, like I, I was like, I was prime Nirvana, like Cobain died. I was in eighth grade. And that just like swept up my whole life in high school. And it wasn't until I went to college that I really started to kind of branch out. I mean, I'm a Nirvana and, and some of the grunge aside, I had really shitty taste in music in high school. It didn't get, it didn't get better until, Not until college. Listeners, no. <laughs> so um, a friend of mine that I met my, I guess it was my sophomore year when I was, when I moved, when I moved to New York 20 years ago, it became my my roommate for a long, long time. And he went through a really long, early punk uh, phase and got really, really into the Ramones um, and then kind of moved from there. And so a lot of that rubbed off on me from him. Like, he, you know, he listened to some of the deeper cuts and not just the stuff you might hear on the radio. And yeah, it was cool. I mean, I, I, I picked up a lot of great music from him. I give him credit, but I won't name him um for for some of that and i you know i have to say even after you know we don't you know we don't live together anymore i still love that era of music that early punk scene like the new york dolls and you know the early stooges stuff um yeah so it's 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 cool i i I dig them but i was definitely late to the party on that and mostly it's because i didn't have anything to my there was no itunes store until i got here to new york None of that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like you had to go that, buy something physically. That's one thing that I think about now is like, I, cause I've talked about, I live like in a really rural area and we had one store where you could buy like music. And that was like a 30 minute drive. Right. Like we, so like, and then this, and then like the selection was pretty like limited, but I mean, as a kid, I bought like a lot of Metallica and Nirvana and, 
albums and stuff like that that ended up being really important. But like, um, so how I discovered the Ramones, two things happened simultaneously. I would go to that CD store and this would have been around, I want to say like 2003 or four, around the time I was a sophomore in high school. And um, in that CD store, there was a, a tribute album to the Ramones. Have you ever, have you ever seen this tribute album? God, that um, sounds familiar. I know. So most tribute albums that you would see would just be like bands you've never fucking heard of in your life. And it's like tribute to Iron Maiden. And it's like 12 bands that are just like names of people that you don't know. And but this one on the back of it, I would look at it and it was like fucking Red Hot Chili Peppers, Metallica, Tom Waits, Rob Zombie, Kiss was on you too. there. Like, <laughs> Yeah, you too is on there. Uh Marilyn Manson, which fuck that dude. Uh, but but a lot of bands that I was like, wow, these are like famous. Like I know I'll know all these bands. Uh that's crazy. So that I would see that, but I didn't buy it because it's like I don't know this band, but that is that would be in the back of my head. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then <laughs> I was also a big fan of the Jack Black movie School of Rock. Have you ever seen this? Oh, yeah. That same Where roommate he, that I was just talking about thought that was the greatest movie that he'd ever seen in his entire life. I was so obsessed with he that. He loved that movie. Time. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> I God. I watched it over and over. Uh, but there's a Ramon song in a climactic scene in the movie. And I remember getting the soundtrack for like Christmas or my birthday or something. And I remember it's Bonzo goes to Pittsburgh and I was like blown away by that song. I was like, that's so good. And then like, you look it up and it's about Ronald Reagan and I'm kind of like figuring out politics at that time. And I'm like, Oh, that's really interesting. And then from there, I ended up getting like one of their compilations. And then of course that I finally like bought that tribute album. <laughs> and there are like some really interesting, you, you hear that list of names and you go, Oh, I don't know about some of those bands, but there's like some really interesting, like Red Hot Chili Peppers, especially who I'm not a huge fan of, did a really interesting version of Havana Affair. And Metallica did 53rd and 3rd, which is a great fucking version of that song. But yeah. Did anybody do the KKK took my baby away? Man, I let me look up the track list. Uh, oh, no. I've got, well, Austin. To answer your question, I've got good news and I've got bad news. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> there is a version of the KKK took my baby away. Oh, you're going to say Manson, aren't you? Yep. That is indeed <laughs> you did it. And I'll, I'll say this right now. It's it's not a good. It, it, that's that's probably one of the worst ones on the, on the album. Even he he's, not, he's not the right guy to cover that. Well, I, I mean, forgot. Garbage is on here. Green Day is on here. Rancid. Oh, Offspring. That's interesting. Um, Eddie Vedder's on here. I mean, there's a lot of like famous bands on here. It's very interesting. So that would have been that would have been the big gateway to me for the for the Ramones. I'm, you know, and you you could wouldn't have been alone. I guarantee that there was a lot of people that picked it up. A because they just looked it up what the cover looked like, and we were like, whoa, what the fuck is this? And B just because you're like, oh, look at all these artists. Let's see what this looks like. You know, they just they don't. It also coincided with like in the early to mid two thousands, there was kind of that Ramones like resurgence. Yeah. Where like you would go to the mall and just like their shirts would be in like three or four stores and like 
you would go to the record store and like there they would have like a bunch of their albums and stuff. i remember i used to drive my mom crazy because if i ever saw like a ramones album like i bought it if i didn't have it like i wanted it and they have like so many you know well and she, and he, she would died. always just be like don't you don't you have enough of those and i'm like i need all of them like <laughs> yeah and he i mean when he died it was a big when joey died it was a big deal i mean a really big deal and that was 2001 so that yeah. sounds that's about right when i think they you know it's one of those bands that it's a real shame that they didn't get their 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 dues while they were still around but uh, did you ever happen to listen to and i can highly recommend this joey's solo album that got released after he died so it was 2002 yes i have heard that it's actually pretty good it's really good it's a really good yeah. album i have to i'm gonna have to well, go back and listen to it now i'll say this i've always thought that the real tragedy of the ramones is that joey is such a talented like singer and songwriter and he's just surrounded by these fucking idiots <laughs> like <laughs> you know what i mean like hey leave dd alone yeah yeah that's true i uh the last thing we'll talk about with the ramones is that i i did one thing i'm very happy about is i did get to go see cbgb's like right before they closed it down nice uh we went on a field trip when i was a senior in high school to new york we stayed about three or four days and i remember the only thing i cared about was i have to go see this like this is the building where the ramones played and like they were they were it was right before they were going to close it down and i was like this is the only chance like i'm not going to get to see a concert or anything but at least i can go there and like see this building that's like I was so obsessed with the Ramones in high school. It's very cool and popular. <laughs> and I remember I told my mom, I was like, you got to come with me on this trip. We got to go see this building. And she's like, yep. Okay. And so I remember like, um, it was the last day. Cause we did all this touristy stuff that I did not care about at all. Uh, but the last day we just had like, f- maybe like four or five hours to just do whatever we wanted. And I'm like, okay, we're going on the, we're going to go see it. <laughs> And I remember walking in and the first thing I thought was, I can't believe how fucking tiny it is. It's so small. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, oh, this is, was anybody here? Like, (laughs) and uh, I remember it was empty and there was a girl behind the register and it was me, my mom. And there were these two other girls that when they found out we were going, they wanted to come too. And um, I asked the girl (laughs) behind the register, I said, is it okay if I get on the stage? And she goes, yeah, we're closing. I don't give a shit what you do. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I, I called my friends that you're not going to believe like what I'm doing right now. And it was really cool. It was a really cool moment. But um, it was a shithole though. Let me be honest. Oh yeah. Like, I just thought like, what in the world? I'll tell you one, one thing about New York and this has nothing to do with music, but uh, it's something I was thinking about the other day. So <laughs> I was very disappointed when we went to New York because I, like I said, I'm from a very small town and I thought that New York was going to be like in the movies (laughs) and like we all did. Right. There was a group of like eight to 10 of us and we're all like, we wanted, we wanted two things to happen. Awesome. (laughs) We wanted someone to try to sell us like dodgy watches, which never happened. No one ever tried to sell us bootleg anything. Which probably says more about us than New York. <laughs> but the second thing that I really wanted, Austin, was to hear somebody say, like, hey, I'm walking in. Right? 
But what I found was nobody fucking talks like that. No. I kept talking to people and I'm thinking, why are they talking normal? (laughs) Why are they talking like that? Why don't they? And I remember like, it wasn't just me. And this is such a dickhead, like shithead teen thing to do, but whatever. I'll tell the story. We were like purposely trying to get in people's way. Right. They would say so it they would get irritated and they'd be like, hey, you fucking asshole, I've got to get to work. And it's like they would just like walk around you and maybe, maybe give you a weird look. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, Austin, let's get into it. This is what we came here to talk about. Reinvented yes. Axel Rose and on Reinvented Axel Rose against me is. Laura Jane Grace on vocals, James Bowman on guitar, Dustin Friedkin is the bassist, and this is the only album that he appears on, and Warren Oaks on the drummer, and your producers are Rob McGregor and Jordan Kleeman. But as we'll get into, there was not a ton of actual like production done on this album. It was yeah, more like they recorded raw. it and they mixed it, and that's about all the production that was done. But uh, I got to say, for rock and roll, for punk, that's all you need. Right. But let's uh, let's just get into it without getting into like any song specifically, just like overall, like as a general vibe and feel. What did you think about this album? So, first of all, I was glad it sounded nothing like Axl Rose because you got me a little worried in the beginning. And I was like, what the fuck am I going to walk into? Here we go. (laughs) So, So wait a minute. So you were expecting it to sound like Guns N' Roses? Or at least remind me of them in some way like okay. you know just like <laughs> some sort of like throw i don't know i don't know what i was expecting but i was like that's a really blatant title so you're either gonna and and it went the way that i would have preferred it to go or you just am like oh it's just a it's just it's a title you know like for this album or it's gonna be like hey we're not a cover band we're not a tribute band but we might have little bits that are inspired by you know guns and roses so I'm glad that okay. didn't happen. I thought maybe it was being more no. literal, but it's not at all. I don't, goodness. I don't think it sounds anything like anything. No, it doesn't. It's just a, it's it, it's not a literal title, which I was glad about. Well, actually, it is because as we we could get into this on the song, but we can get into it now. Uh, Laura has said that like Guns N' Roses, believe it or not, was like a big influence on her. It was one of her favorite bands. Uh, but as she got older, she sort of begin to see Axel as like a flawed guy and this sort of at the time, you know, kind of tragic figure. And, uh, and so I think the, the idea was sort of um, to create a new kind of guns and roses where like, we're going to be the band that we, we wanted them to be. They right. sort of, they sort of reached a point where I guess, they lost their connection with like the audience and against me was sort of putting out their mission statement is to say like, you know, we're always going to be connected to our audience and we're not going to like sell out and move on and forget you. Right. Right. Okay. I like that. I I mean, I think that that's, that's good enough reason to name it what it is. Also you can name it whatever you want if it's your band. So who the fuck cares what podcaster says? Right. And I also, and I also think like, you know, like you were saying, I mean, album titles, it's kind of just like you see it and that's what it's called. And right. Right. Something in something to work with it. Uh, The whole thing, it, it was a quick listen, 30 minutes. I mean, that goes by, very quickly and that's not a bad thing I, I i love albums that you could just jump into and jump out of i think the word i would use for the whole thing that i picked up from it and i got it a little bit from the listens and then i actually went and read the lyrics too i was like this is a very 
it's a it's a nihilistic album you know okay. it's like right yeah like, like it, it's about like drinking and listening to the punk music you you like but then not caring if you live or die and just kind of rolling with that whatever the fuck comes your way and i don't know when it was recorded but it was released post 9-11 i don't want to make this all about 9-11 but i definitely can see that that's sort of the that's a vibe that's going on at the time in the world where they're like what the fuck you know like what what are we doing any of this for let's just go and be as fulfilled as we can be by bashing our heads in and drinking a bunch that's think, a broad that's broadly what it, <laughs> I, I don't know i don't know if uh I don't know if I took it as being quite as nihilistic as you did, but I do. I do think one thing the band talked about at the time was like, okay, if this album doesn't work out, then it's just not going to work. We're just going to have to forget it. Like uh, they had actually broken up the original version of the band had actually broken up before this uh, was recorded. And then Laura started working on some of the songs and then they reformed in the, um, the lineup that would be on this album. And uh, I, think, I think they were kind of desperate. Yeah. You like, leave it all on the table. Just put it right, all on the I, table. I think it was very much like, okay, if we're going to, if this doesn't work out, like we're just not going to be able to, to do this in a serious way. And one thing I think they, they talked about was that they, they wanted to take this to the next level and actually like, have an impact and and go beyond sort of the local scene, which kind of got them some pushback at the time. But I, I do think it's very it's very raw and it's very emotional, and and I think it is an attempt to just sort of be a just a mission statement. But as as that, I think it's a really I think it's a successful album. I, I you know I think that that's like hey here's a here's an intro to this group. This is what's going to sum it up. If you don't like what you've heard here go no further well i'll say this this is their only album that sounds like this oh so, well yeah. there we go see i don't know because this is new to me so that's part of the, their, the uh, concept their, their uh their next album which we'll which we will uh which we'll get to uh in a few episodes it doesn't really sound anything like this uh, okay. this uh, but i will say this album is definitely a success uh because i mean pretty much any punk band that came after this was directly influenced by this i mean you could you listen i listen to a few current bands and i try to keep up with new music as best i can but i mean you listen to a lot of punk bands and the influence of not not just against me but this album in particular is so prevalent it it really was like sort of the i guess it was kind of like the ramones of its time right or the guns and roses (laughs) right there wasn't anything else at the time that sounded exactly like this yeah and there hasn't been anything since that sounds like this like it this album is an anomaly in that like they kind of just captured lightning in a bottle we'll get into it we'll have our best and worst songs at the end but I, mean, I don't think there's anything bad here. No, I know. I, and I actually, I mean, I know what I would call like the weakest song, but it's not a bad song. Like there's no, there's nothing that's bad on the album. Right. Well, I think that's good. And let's just get into it. Let's get into the song by song. And then uh, 
I've got some quotes from the band uh, that we'll get in. Maybe we'll sprinkle in as we go and uh, we'll get to some at the end. But I want to give a big shout out, Austin, to a guy called Josh Chesler, who wrote an article for Spin called God Damn It, We're Going to Take This Somewhere, The Oral History of Against Me's Reinventing Axolors. I read a lot of articles and interviews uh, about this album and this was hands down the best one and anything I'm going to use came directly from this. This guy really put together a great article. He interviewed everybody that was involved in the making of this album. Excellent. You should definitely go check it out. Let's get into it. The first song pints again, is make you strong. Austin, what did you think of this? Oh man, this is the hot take right off the bat. I was not feeling this song. Oh my god! Wow. <laughs> oh my god! We're fucking canceled. It's over. It. Dead. I knew. I told you before we, we started recording. Dead. I was like, I'm done. I'm done. First song. Like, oh, uh, here's it. I I didn't dislike it, but I will say mm-hmm. it's a thing, and it's just a thing with me. Austin I cannot. I, only I one. cannot believe this. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. All right. Go ahead. I enjoy drinking i do not enjoy songs about drinking and that's always been a well it's not about drinking austin it's about the woman's grandparents austin okay so i her grandfather died (laughs) so i had a really hard time about it and you're just like look at this old drunk (laughs) i didn't realize it was about her her grandparents right and i even tried to look into it a little bit i was cheating a little bit and i was like is there something i'm missing and i couldn't find that but i was just like i you know i okay i mean that changes the confines a little bit but it still was when i listened to it i was like this feels like something oh god i'm really gonna get myself in trouble in this first episode because people are gonna get all over my ass it felt like something that it felt I feel so much better because I was worried I was going to say something controversial and there's no fucking way that I'll talk. <laughs> no, I was just like, I was like, this just reminds me of like something I'd hear on like a dropkick Murphy's or a flogging Molly. Like, let's go. It's kind of a, it's, I don't know. It, it just was, it just felt like a drinking song. And now, I, I mean, I know there's more context to it now that I didn't understand, but that was my take on that song. It was not my favorite song. I was a little bit like, Oh boy, if this is every song, we're going to have a ride. Okay. I warned you, and I, I'm going to send, tell you, send all the hate tweets to at Austin Agogo. Educate me. Try to change my mind. I'm open. I'm not a closed book, but that I was not loving that song. I'm going to tell you, Austin, what I love <laughs> when I listen to music. And that is I love a, a song that is fast and energetic and about some really sad stuff. That I listen to that and I go, that's fucking music to me. That that is this this song is like fucking exactly what I want. Great opening riff. <laughs> they set the tone right away. Great, great song. Just oh my god, I almost went with this. Well, I won't give spoilers for best song, but I it, there was three songs that were in the running, and this was in, and this was one of them. I just I don't even know <laughs> what to say. I'm, I'm thrown. Listeners, I'm I am I'm really thrown. I thought I knew this. What songs Austin was not going to like? I thought this one was for sure a slam dunk. I was like, well, there's no there's no way anybody on earth doesn't like this. This is I mean, uh, yeah, it just wasn't my it wasn't my song. I wasn't feeling it. I mean, All right. Okay. So, at what point when when you listened to this group did you know that this was about her grandfather? 
I mean, the first time I ever listened to the song, you look at the lyrics, it's pretty obvious. And then like, she's talked about it many times about what a, what a uh, personal and meaningful song this is to her that you have just crapped all over. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've already established then that I am the villain in this, in this podcast. So we'll just, we're we're starting out hot. (laughs) It's totally fine. It's totally fine. Uh, All right. Let's move on to song two. The which, song that I wish was the first song on the album, but that's just me. I just thought it, I thought it ramped into things. Which is the politics of starving. Uh, this is the most like the early stuff that we're going to listen to in the next episode or two. Um, and this song is a really important song for me uh, as far as kind of figuring out politics. Um, I was a sociology major in college. And this sort of fit right along with that and sort of shaping like the worldview that I would have at the time. I mean, this, this song was so important to like in my political development. I see why too. I mean, anything that, that names name drops as many three letter agencies, plus all the major television networks. It's like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. One thing that is Laura is incredible at and, uh, and, this album may be the peak of it. I'm not sure, but just having that raw emotion, but still being so smart and focused. She's not rambling. Right. The, the lyrics are, I mean, they're not super easy to understand the first time you listen to the song, but like, if you read them, like the message is very clear and concise and coherent. Like there's, I mean, one thing I love about this band is there's very rarely any ambiguity. Rarely do you listen to an Against Me song and go, I wonder what that's about. I mean, this song, it, they just lay it right out on the table. Yeah, no, it's right there. I, I, I really enjoyed this. I thought, I thought if you swapped this one in the first song, that would have been, that would have been my move, but it's not my band, so I don't get to make those choices. Right. I think the big lyric that always stuck with me and we're not going to dive too deeply into specific lyrics, but if one jumps out at me, I'll bring it up. But one thing that really, that has always stuck with me and has really shaped my view of the world is when she says at the end of the song, when you're so hungry that you'd believe anything, they're selling you the politics of starving. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I think that pretty much speaks for itself. Yeah. I mean, it's as true today as it is was in 2002. Right, absolutely. And and a lot of this album is like that. All right, let's move on to song number three, which is called We Laugh at Danger and Break All the Rules. And this song is about a car crash that ended the band. They were the original version of the band. They were rear-ended by a tractor trailer uh, on the road and lost a bunch of their merch and equipment and pretty much just... We're like, well, we don't have any money. Let's just give up. Uh, but a few m- months later, they would reform with a, sort of a new lineup. And uh, they wrote this song about it, which is a big fan favorite. A major part of their live shows where people rush the stage and that kind of thing. So, I mean, this is kind of like one of their staple songs. What did you think of this one? I, it's, it's funny because, I mean, without knowing what their live shows are like, or even knowing the band, I said, this was a really fun sing-along song. Like this is the one that you can tell live people are 
absolutely into and just really yes, really absolutely. liking it and yeah. i yeah i i really enjoyed it i i didn't realize it was about a crash yeah and so that's interesting i it was definitely a road song and i was like all right so now we're getting into some of the folk punk stuff with like right you know like we'd be talking about a van all right i can get that like that's that's yeah. like on the move on you know the nomadic uh you know on the road type of stuff so i i dug it i really i really like the song i think i liked what? it more every time i heard it too yes it definitely grows on you and one thing they talked about was um they wanted this album to feel like a live album. They didn't want it to feel like a studio album. And I think this song is a perfect example of like, this pretty much sounds live like it does here. Right. I believe that. I believe that. I mean, it really did. I, I got those vibes as a total noob to this, this band and this album. I was, I was picking it up. I was like, this is, this is a live song that, so I know they, are you have talked about the term folk punk for this, uh-huh. for this band i walked away with a different phrase and i okay. this might also be insulting i might be like just completely thrown into against me twitter uh son but i just kept thinking i was like i get folk punk but i also get like shanty punk you know like this is a shanty okay. that you would sing well- and and like with with beers in your hand and like but in the in a good way like a re- that's a positive thing for me I, I don't know it's just that I those are the vibes that I picked up but I I, okay. I just kept right. thinking I was like this is like a shanty that. this is something that like yeah you're gonna sing with a bunch of people that you like and it's just you don't have to sing it well just sing it and feel it right and and I think that is something that uh, that's a good point to bring up uh, I think Laura becomes a better singer as the band goes on and in the later albums, like she's sort of singing more traditionally, but here it's, she just lets it go. Yeah. It's like, raw. Yes. And it's just like, this is what this song is. And, and I think that for some artists that doesn't work and Laura's voice is just so powerful that even if she's maybe not, singing like the best in a traditional way it's it's so powerful well yeah it conveys what she's singing about right like you're not you're not worried about enunciating every word because it's more than that it's about the feeling you know i mean it's it's, it's a weird reference but it's like james brown wasn't the best singer in the world Right. But he was incredibly famous. He's a shithead too, but he like had that feeling and there's that there's something about like his voice. That's like, I, I don't know. You feel it. You, you know what he's singing about. Even if you can't understand a goddamn word he says sometimes it's like, it's just, it, it's yeah. that that's it. That's tough. And that, that's really tough. It's, it's a lot easier to capture live than it is to capture on uh, an album. So I give this band a lot of, of kudos for being able to catch that capture that energy on a, on a recorded. Well, we can get into this now. One thing they talked about a lot in that article that I mentioned was uh, not only wanting this to feel like a live album, but literally they recorded it over two days uh, and they just recorded the songs live. They would maybe do one or two takes. The first day they listened to the mixes and said, oh shit, we were so excited that we played everything way too fast. We're going to have to go back for a second day and record everything a little slower. And then basically they took one song from the first day. 
uh, and the other, all the rest of the songs from the album are from the second day. And then literally they just did some sort of basic mixing of the, I mean, they weren't recorded on separate tracks or anything. They literally went wow. into the studio, recorded the album live, and then it was just mixed. That was, that was about all the production that was done. So, uh, and that's the way they wanted to do it because they, they wanted they wanted it to feel like a live album. And in a way it is, there's yep. not an audience, but it is recorded about as live as it can get. I, I, I think it's, it, you know, and this is me going on a little bit of a tangent. I think that, I think that that's something that's missing in today's rock music. And I think that it's something that if there were bands that came back and started doing that, recording these albums live and just live to tape and, and like capturing that sort of energy and aesthetic. I, I think you'd see more, more successful rock bands again. I think you'd see a small, uh, maybe, maybe not even small, a resurgence in rock and roll because hip hop is absolutely taken over, taken over mainstream music in a massive way. And that is typically polished, you know, it's, and it's very, it's mixed in a studio. It's mixed on a computer. It's there's, there's, it's a, there's a lot of, of technicality to it. And it's like, I think the equal and opposite reaction to something like that is a raw live recorded rock and roll album. I think or maybe I'm just old and I want rock and, you know, a really kick-ass rock and roll band again. I think a band you should check out and I'll put one of their songs on the end of this episode. And maybe I'll send you some stuff is Mobina Galore. I've uh, never heard of them. And that's two women out of Canada. Uh, and that's really good stuff. All right. So I'll probably put one of their songs at the end of the at the end of this episode, I'll probably put like Escape Plan or Spend My Day. Both those are really good songs. Uh, their most recent album, Don't Worry, I'll definitely check out. Really right. cool new band. Song number four is I Still Love You, Julie. And before you say what you thought of this song, Austin, there <laughs> is a there's a lyric in this song that always I've found really funny, where she says, "No, we're not going to call." anyone on their shit tonight even though the half of you won't even smile the next time we pass on the street so we are calling some people out on their shit tonight people who don't smile when you see bands crossing the street you're on blast <laughs> i'm not 100 sure but i think what they're doing in this song is using like a breakup as a metaphor for disappointing the audience and sort of people kind of feeling like they were selling out in a way and, and moving beyond the local scene. And I think in a sense, a band does kind of have to create like a, a persona a fake personality, but maybe that scam through that, you can do something real and meaningful. And I think that's what the song is about, but I'm, I'm not sure level. Well, I think that also, kind of plays into like this, the sellout culture that really permeated music. I feel like starting in the mid nineties and, and probably and in punk in particular, you know, the, the, the sellout mentality where it's like, if you were, and we've talked, I think you and I have talked about this before, maybe on the podcast, maybe not. I can't remember, but um, it, where it's, it, you know, they you, punk fans were giving punk bands, shit for signing to major records major labels right 
and and they Which were like, we'll get oh. into it against me. Don't worry, right. that's coming. And like they're like, well, you've changed. You're on a major label, and a lot of these bands are yeah, like, yeah. But the fucking Ramones were on a major label. The Clash was <laughs> on a major label. The Sex Pistols were on a major. Like that was just something. And now, now that there's that 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 fear of like changing because you're now on a major label. And I know a lot of bands were really conscious of that. And I think this might have something to do with that. Well, one thing that people were upset about at the time was that. This came out on No Idea Records, which is in no way a major label at all, but it is like a record label. It is an mm-hmm. official business. Yeah. And before that, basically, their music was either self-released or it came out on just like, you know, their friends label who just like printed some records like they people were kind of upset, like, oh, you're not really anarchist. You're working with like a record label. Right. You're, you're working with capitalists. Right. I mean, and listen, I like a lot of the politics on this album. I've never identified as an anarchist. I'm too soft. I don't think I could handle it. Uh, But you know what? I think if you're out there and you're an anarchist, like keep it up. And if it works out, I'll be on the sidelines going like, hey, great job. Yep, I hundred percent. That summed it up for me too. No. <laughs> but at, also at the same time, like an, an anarchist has to live in the society that they're in. You know, I mean, like there, there's something about that they have to. You know, you're well, you're and, here. and and one thing I think that this this album does address is that we are we all are victims of capitalism in in one way or another. Like we, if you are going to be in a band and you want that to be like what you do for a living like you are going to have to make concessions in order to make that possible you 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 cannot be an anarchist band that only plays in people's living rooms and also sort of bring that message to a mainstream audience you you can't do both so the next song that we're going to look at is scream it until you're coughing up blood and I want to say, Austin, this I know some fans are not big on this song. This is a this is a personal fave of mine. Oh, uh, no. It's it's very emo. Uh, I, there. Go ahead. Say what I, you're going to say. Uh, I this was I mean, I don't know if it was my least favorite or if I thought it was. Well, don't spoil it. No, I don't. I don't. I don't think it is. I'm still making up my mind. I haven't totally <laughs> set it in stone. Okay, great. No, I, I thought this was the. I did. I thought this was the weakest on the album, in terms okay. of like, hey, you're you you've got a certain momentum, and then you kind of hit this song, and you're like, well, I don't know what to do now. And then after the song, it picks back up again. Well, you're not, you're not alone in that feeling. Yeah, but I do. I do really love this song. There is a lyric early on. Uh, so if anybody wants to give me shit about liking my chemical romance, I just want to read this lyric in the first verse of the song on against me's reinventing Axl Rose, where she says, Austin, there's a skeleton of loyalty hanging in the gallows of your heart. So calm down there, Amy Lee. Yeah, that's emo, emo, emo. Uh, but I do think this song is about being in a relationship and coming to grips with the realization that the other person is not as invested in it as you are. See, that's, that's nihilistic. That is nihilism right there. Okay. (laughs) 
well, this is something that I have dealt with in my life. So <laughs> I hate just, to be the one to break it to you, Dwayne. <laughs> just <laughs> I can I can remember a very specific moment in time and thinking like, oh no, this person does not care about me in the same way that I care about them, and I don't know what I'm gonna do about that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I I had a, my, I mean, I've had the opposite problem too. And I have to say, it feels just as crummy where you're like, Oh my God, is this person more into me than I am to them? Am I a shithead without feelings? (laughs) And yes, I probably am. Uh, Yeah. I related to a lot of the lyrics in the song, especially like uh, at the end when they talk about just like, if we're around, we're just going to end up fucking. And (laughs) I'm just like, Oh, (laughs) I relate to this too. You're absolutely not alone in, uh, in not being a fan of this song, but I really like it a lot. Uh, Just the kind of music that I enjoy. I think, I think like you could just have my chemical romance record this word for word and like, it would be fine. Nobody would, but uh, give me an idea. And Hey, uh, don't tell Laura I said that because I don't know where she where she stands on that. I know she's got some very strong feelings about emo and pop punk. So. But 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 we don't tell Laura about anything we say no, here. This the, is a don't she, tell Laura podcast. Right. Absolutely. That is number one rule of the show. Which, don't let Laura know about it. Next song we're going to talk about is song number six, and that is Jordan's first choice. What did you think about this one? So this is the song, and I, I maybe ruined my review of it where, because I talked about it earlier. This is the song where I wrote down, this cements this album as punk shanties. Like, this is the song that really put me, I was like, I'm getting shanty vibes. I'm getting, and then this one was like, yeah, this is a shanty album. I love it. It's great. It, right. It's a fantastic song. And a big song about the struggles of capitalism and trying to balance that with being in a band. Yeah, it actually it it actually feels like there's a little bit of a mini arc after um after scream scream it until you're coughing up blood. Like it feels like that song is almost like the end of the first half, and then the second half kind of takes this. It gets much more political, and it gets it's it's a lot more messagey, but in a fun way. Not like I'm gonna I, you over the yes. Head. I don't know if that's deliberate, but absolutely, I agree with that. You could the, split the, these the into first, two. The first two half EPs. is more is more about emotion, right? Uh, and the second half is really about politics, right? Yeah, I, that's like I was like, this is the politics. Like if it was a record, yeah. this is the politics. And this song right. is this song is very political, right? Uh, but like I said, it's also about how you know being a in a band is a job, and I think that's why. I never really wanted to be in a band. It just seemed like it's like a second job that you don't get paid for. And I don't work that hard at my job that I do get paid for. Hey, guess what? Podcasting (laughs) is the same thing. (laughs) I've learned that now. (laughs) Now that I have to fucking edit this goddamn thing every, every time. But uh, yeah. You got any other thoughts about this one? No, I, I, I really dug it. I I, I'm glad it picked back up after the, the previous song. I was like, all right, now we're back on track. And Jordan is a reference to um, Jordan Kleeman, who was one of the producers here and uh, sort of like the band's de facto manager. Uh, He was originally the keyboardist in the band, and they basically were like, hey, you're not any good at this and we don't need a keyboardist. (laughs) So what else can you do? And but he was actually the one that put together um, uh, 
a lot of the aesthetic here and sort of the, I think he was involved in helping having the album cover made. He definitely is the guy who like got them in touch with the studio and like got this album made. So he is a very important uh, guy in the band uh, around this time, even though he's not technically an official member. But that is the Jordan that is referenced here. Just wanted to point that out. Let's move on to song number seven, which is Those Anarcho-Punks Are Mysterious. And this is another song, like, very important in my political development at the time. I really like this song. That's a great song. It's a great song. I had a lot. This was maybe the most fun song that I listened to. And the breakdown is just fantastic like when it hits that the the break i'm just like this is i have so much fun i can see this is another one of the songs like seeing hearing it live is just got to be one of the most fun moments of seeing them live right but yeah i mean this is a fantastic song and and like i said like i really like this is a song that really made me like think a lot uh as I listened to it, as I was sort of developing my worldview and stuff. Um, Yeah. Really, really good and catchy. Another great like campfire style song, just great stuff here. All right. Let's get to song number eight, which is the title track ring Vin and Axl Rose. And we talked about before (laughs) that Laura was a big Guns N' Roses fan. Uh, but this is sort of a mission statement for the band. And I think this is very much them going like, this is who we are and this is what we want to do with our music. But you know what I'm going to compare it to? And this might be a weird comparison. Are you, are you a Metallica guy at all? I know some of the early stuff into like the mid nineties stuff, maybe late nineties okay. stuff. I know this, until this song to me is very much their hit the lights. I don't know if where I that song. hit the lights is one of the first Metallica songs. And it's basically just a song where the lyrics are just like, we're Metallica and we're really fucking kick ass and we play really fast. And it's like, that's their mission statement. Yeah, it's so just their the, manifesto. Right. You know, it's very much about having a DIY aesthetic and making the audience part of the shows and part of the music and part of the movement. And and creating a situation where there isn't as much of a divide between the audience and the band. And sort of trying to break down those barriers that a lot of bands put up. It feels celebratory, too. Right. You know, it feels like, hey, this is and that makes sense is like a mission statement or a manifesto that, hey, this is this is what we stand for. This is who we're going to be going forward this is who you know this is this is the band this is our song right this is our little signature even if it's not the signature song yes it still has you know that imprint i guess and there and there is sort of a a little bit of that metallic element of we're gonna kick your ass and be really cool right (laughs) okay song number nine which is a song that i am gonna have a lot to talk about (laughs) is baby i'm an anarchist and This is the song that made me love this band. I had heard some of their music before and I liked them and I was into them. But when I heard this song for the first time, like I, I got it. Like it just immediately clicked with me. I think this is like, 
a perfect song. Like the lyrics are smart and funny, very it's funny, catchy. Like it, the vocals are great. There's that great dual vocal going on. I mean, this is just such a great fucking song. It's it's the closest thing to a pop song on this album, and just the ba- the way that it's structured, right? Which is funny because it's also, <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, cons- that's that's actually why I think it's. I thought it was it's hilarious. Perfect. It's, it's yes. a funny song, and I I think that that's why. Absolutely. It's, yeah. Like the 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 style of the song doesn't match the message at all. Right. And 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 it's a love song on top of everything else. There's <laughs> a great burn in here where she says, "We're all hypocrites, but you're a patriot." Yes. Fucking got her. Okay, so uh, before we say anything else about this song, uh, I mentioned on the last episode that I had an Against Me concert story. Uh, I was going to save it for later, but it actually it involves this song, so I think now is the time to tell it. I went to see Against Me, and I looked this up when this was. It was on June 20th, 2010. Uh, and I went with my brother to see against me at the disco rodeo in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is a great <laughs> venue. Name. And, and that was a great, that was a great venue too. But, um, so, uh, I would say 2000, like nine, 10, I was really, really, really into this band, like heavily into this band. And, I was very excited to go see them in concert. Uh, And I dragged my brother along who didn't really know them at all, but was just like, well, if you like it this much, like it's, it's gotta be pretty good. Right. And I remember the openers were the Menzingers, who was another one of my favorite bands. And they were pretty much brand new at the time. Uh, But I remember they just blew me away. That was one of the only times that I've been to a show where like you saw the opener and it was like, holy shit, these guys are actually like a really good band. I like and, when that happens. I like yeah. they, they don't happen. You're right. They don't happen often, but there, there've been a few bands that I've discovered just from opening that I'm like, holy yeah. cow, this is great band. Dead to Me was also uh, there, which is another band that I really love. Uh, but Against Me comes out, and I was up at the front, of course. And this is either right before or right after the White Crosses album came out. But the album leaked like a couple months early, famously. So I knew all the words to every fucking song they played, including like the new songs that either weren't out or just just come out. Like I was obsessed with this band. And so like I was singing along all night and I was so into it. And I didn't know what to expect because I'd only seen them before at the Warp Tour. And I was like, how many early songs are they really going to play? You know, because this is later in their run. Yeah, eight years in. And their big single at the time was I was a teenage anarchist, you know, which we'll get into, but uh, you don't know that song, but it's a good one. And uh, so I was like, well, they're probably not going to play baby. I'm an anarchist. And that was the encore. Nice. And when they started playing that, I was so fucking pumped. And there's a moment where Laura and I make eye contact. And I just had this huge smile and I smiled at her and she smiled back at me and she reached out her hand and I grabbed her hand and she pulled me onto the stage. What? And yes, yes. And I got to sing the chorus of this song on the stage with Laura. She literally pulled me onto the stage and then stepped to the side 
so that we had equal share of the microphone. Like that's wow. how generous she was with me. And then like, I remember like we're singing and I look to the side and there's a security guard who just gives me this look of like, you need to get off the motherfucking stage <laughs> right now. And so I did, I jumped off the stage and like everybody caught me and it was just like this incredible moment that I have yeah. with like my favorite band that like, I'm sure she does that with people all the time. It doesn't matter, but I will never fucking forget that. Yeah. That, that takes your favorite band and just like, it, it makes it's, it, it, hardens that beyond marble right i mean like it's impenetrable at that point and i and one of the things that they did talk about in the article that i read is that their whole career they've struggled with venues and trying to explain that to security no we just let people come on the stage like we don't care like if people want to jump on the stage just let them do it it doesn't matter we don't feel like they're a threat they're fans they love she was very girly and uh, like i would have never had the courage to jump up on the stage. You know what I mean? But she literally like looked at me like, do you want to get up here? And I was like, uh-huh. And so she grabbed me and like, it was like, and never stopped singing. Like she was still singing the song like perfectly, but also like looking at me, like, do you want to do it? And I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was very, very That's awesome. Cool. That's, yeah. that's amazing. I'm happy that you had yeah. that moment. I really am. That's, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Very fucking cool. And, uh, and but also just just a great song. Yeah, I mean just a, just like a perfect punk song. No, I, I mean I, like, I don't know that this is my favorite song, but like God, it's so, it's so good. <laughs> like it's just I don't have any criticism of this at all. Like it's just like they got it right. Yeah, I agree. Well, we got two more songs before we have to reveal our. Yes, which brings us to number ten, which is "Walking Is Still Honest." I'm, I'm going to let you go on this one before I say anything, just in case. No, I, I, I'd like to hear it. I, I, yeah, I, I liked it. I, I, again, this kept with the, the nihilistic um, theme that I was picking up on, but I'm curious to see what you say. I think this is another just fucking perfect song. Yeah. The fucking vocals are so fucking perfect. Like her voice is so raw powerful i mean she's just screaming these lyrics but not in like a hardcore or like metal way like in a very raw and real way that just feels so fucking genuine like she lays it all out here it's it's also lyrically uh, different than anything else that came before it you know i mean you're not it's not straight up politics it's not you know slice of life necessarily it's a mixed bag it's got the lyric, the the. Can anybody tell me why God won't speak to me? Why Jesus never called on me to part that fucking sea? I was like, that's those are fucking great lines. Those are yeah. great lines. Like, and 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 then one thing that we haven't brought up is is, I mean, she's she's like early twenties here. Yeah, I mean, they're very, they're all very young. Like her, I think, I think as a songwriter, she gets more polished. And definitely as a singer, um, she gets more polished. But I don't think they ever just capture just the just pure energy that they have on this album on any of their other albums. I think there's other albums maybe you could argue are, are better than this, but nothing is this just raw and open. I'm trying to read my writing that I wrote that I can't read right anymore. <laughs> 
That's all. This is tremendous arc, uh, and, yeah. and this was this was a really good. The, kind of the last three backup. songs just flow together so perfectly. They really do. Like, and and we'll get right into it. Uh, maybe we could talk more about walking this to last cinema, but while we're on it, we'll talk about it. Song number eleven, eight full hours of sleep. This is just a perfect closer. That's exactly like, what I wrote. It's the perfect <laughs> song to close this album out. <laughs> because you you've had all these very fast, very uh, energetic songs, and this is almost like a come down. Yeah. Now it's time to go home. Bar and it's closed. just like the perfect change of tone. You, you know a song is good and all you need is an acoustic guitar in the lyrics like there's it's just a beautiful song just a great closer yeah maybe no. not the maybe not the best song on the album but there's nothing else could close this album i i don't know if you are familiar with the i don't think i'm not a big musical person right but there are a couple that i i like i enjoy and one of them is Hedwig and the Angry Inch. And for whatever reason, this song fit very well into that okay. whole I'm not cycle. It's it's all right. That, that was that was one thing I noted. And I was like, here's going to be my weird reference point that Dwayne's not going to understand. But if anybody out there listening gets it, then maybe maybe you can back me up on that. But it's yeah, it was great. It's 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 it is. It's the perfect song to close an album on. It just sends you home happy. One thing I think Laura is so talented at is just painting like such a clear picture with the lyrics. You you know exactly what this song is about. Like she is so concise. And I think I've said that already, but like, I just think like the, the, the lyrics on here are just so poignant and just like precise and, like she just nails it. Like <laughs> this, like this song is, is so great. Yeah. It's fantastic. I also am, am all in, I, I, in all, I, I really like albums as a complete work, you know, rather than a collection of singles, you know, and it doesn't have to be blatant. Like you don't have to have the same characters going through the same or through all the songs, right. but they have to feel like they gel together into yeah. into a piece i don't know I, and I, I think and i think against me is a band where you are going to get more out of it listening to an album than listening to hey listen to these two or three songs right, right. you 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 can appreciate it but if you listen to this album as like a full piece right in the order that the songs are presented i think you would get a lot more out of it than just listening to any one song individually well you also feel that, I mean, not every band can make a complete album. Too, right. Right. Absolutely. It's a hard, it's hard to do. I'd yes. say more don't know how to do it than do. And so when you discover something that you feel like is a complete album for me anyway, like that really gets my, you know, musical juices going where I'm like, this is right. great. I really, and, I and what they managed to do here is very difficult in that make something that sounds coherent and all the songs fit together but every song is different it's not repetitive in any right i just want it to kind of feel you know like it's like it's a complete piece like it's a book and each song is a chapter rather than you know you're just a a collection of a bunch of short stories and i I did want to go back to something with baby i'm an anarchist uh because i added this in the notes and i forgot to bring it up (laughs) so that's that is the only song on the album that was not originally an against me song. It almost didn't make the album. Really? Yes. Wrote it in another band, 
two people named Cassidy Rist, who is the other vocalist. I was going to ask you that was on the uh, album. Uh, I don't know that she ever did anything else, but she wrote her and Rob Ogman, along with Laura, wrote that song. And Laura brought them in to perform on the song because she felt really bad about she felt like she was stealing the song, even though it was her own band. And everyone else in the band is like, we got to have this song on the fucking album. And she and she's like, yeah, but that's not really our song and they're like right. it's your song do it and so i guess she went to cassidy and rob and asked for permission and so yes it is cassidy wrist i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right r-i-s-t uh and she is the other vocalist on that song nice. so any final thoughts before we get into the quotes no i think i i think i've I, I I came out of this really enjoying it, you know, and this was this was as well good because as, if you had not liked this, this was going to be a long road. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think any of their music sounds quite like this, but if you didn't like this, I don't think it. I don't think it would go up. So that brings us to the quotes, and once again, all of these come from the oral history of Reinvenia as a Rose from Josh Chesler. Uh, and I think the first one I want to get to, I thought this is one that you would find funny. And this is from Laura. And she <laughs> says, Warren, who was the drummer, had this strange sonar jungle kit where the idea behind the kit was that it could collapse into itself. So it was easy to transport in like a hatchback Honda Civic or something like that. But the kit had a very unique sound that was not very punk rock. If you listen to the snare sound on Reinvent and Axel Rose, it's like, what the fuck is going on with that snare? That snare is bad. Like it's on power with St. Anger snares. <laughs> and I will say some of the production here is rough. <laughs> like, but that, that's the, that's part of the point, right? Right. Absolutely. Um, and it's easy and, to go back, especially as the band leader to go back and look at it and go, Oh yeah, that really bothers me. But you know what? It doesn't bother anybody right. else. And you sold a ton of records and you made, or maybe not a ton of records. You sold the records and you made a lot of fans. To me, I listen to this and I go, this is fucking perfect. And you are a legend and I love you. And I'm sure she listens to this and goes, God, this sounds like shit. What mm-hmm. kids we were. Uh, all, you know? <laughs> but it's like, well, like when you edit this podcast, all you hear is the stuff you screwed up on and bad <laughs> stuff. Like you can't appreciate anything good about it. You just hear the stuff that makes you cringe. I think that's every single creative person in every single, you know, creative field. Right. And so along those lines, Dustin Friedkin, the bassist, said, we definitely ran through it and played everything way too fast the first time that we recorded everything. And then we went back and recorded it all also way too fast. On the second day, Laura and Rob spent two hours mastering things like, that sounds okay, fuck it. We just (laughs) didn't have the money or have the time to do more. Not that Rob's prices were unreasonable. He was very generous with us, but... We had to do it fast. There was a certain aspect of it that was deliberate because we thought of ourselves as being a live band and we were hoping to capture that energy of our live performances in the recorded work. Well, I'd say that they succeeded at that. I absolutely, yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, it definitely has that feel of like, okay, we just recorded it and okay, do the next one. Yeah. Like, let's get this done before the night security guard gets on and catches right. us. We don't have enough studio. money for day three. Like, <laughs> right. they're going to kick us out of here if we don't get it right on day two. So, and, and Laura says, 
we had this mentality of like, God damn it, we're going to take this somewhere. It wasn't even a possibility that it wasn't going to go somewhere, that it was just not acceptable at the time because it felt like there was no other option. It felt like we jammed our foot so hard in the door that we couldn't fucking waste a shot. We worked our asses off to record it, and it was fucking good. It looked good. It sounded good. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's uh, that says everything it needs to say. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and I do have a few more quotes I want to read here. Uh, typically, the quote section will be shorter than this, but there was just so many good quotes in this article where they worded things way better than I could have said myself. Plus, uh, it's the 20th anniversary of the album, so we can absolutely. So Jordan Kleeman, the producer, says, I think it comes down to Laura's songwriting. All of those songs, and I mean, just against me in general, start with her and her guitar. When you strip it down to its core, then you just have that raw energy that could be played around a campfire with friends on an acoustic guitar and you can all sing along and it'll be great. Then when you add the instrumentation to it, it's even better. I think there's just something special in that. And that's why it still resonates so much, which I think is something you pointed out yep. um, earlier in that. Yeah. I mean, the, these songs are just so like singable and memorable and they get stuck in your head. Yeah. It, 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 campfire that's you know you brought it yeah. up earlier that's it that's what it is it's sing-along right. right so once again dustin the bass player says laura's lyrics and all these songs on that record are so good and smart they're responding to a world that felt like it was coming apart and from a certain perspective the world always feels like it's coming apart and i think that's part of what makes axel timeless i mentioned that line from the politics of starving earlier and we've been fed to and we've been fed, politically speaking, thin rule for like 40 or 50 years now. It's been years of neoliberalism and the end of the Cold War into the war on terror and all. I'm not trying to get all professor in political science, but there's a political edge to it. And I think it's still appropriate. We haven't really moved on past that time that we were at when we started recording at the beginning of the war on terror. Things, unfortunately, haven't gotten a lot better since. Nope. No. And... Uh, <laughs> No, I think not at I all. Think I absolutely agree with that. I and, mean, and and that's something that I think is really interesting because it does have a time. I, you know, I, I there are other political albums that I've listened to that haven't aged very well. You know, that they are so absolutely. specific, but not. I mean, without even using names, it just feels like they're so of the moment. Whereas this feels just as relevant today as it I'll, would I'll, I'll twenty years name. ago. I'll use the name. Okay. If you go back and listen to a lot of Rage Against the Machine, it does not hold up great. Yeah. <laughs> like it's it not that those songs weren't great. It sounds very dated. Well, it, I wonder if this, it's because this album go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say I think this album seems to lead with ideology whereas Rage talked about everything they were against. <laughs> right. Okay. You know, and I, I think that's a subtle yeah. thing. But I think that that might be the difference. It's like, hey, this is what we believe in versus this is what we disagree with. You know, and I, I, yeah. think that that may, I don't know. I'm talking on my ass. But I also think just the everyday grind of capitalism is, is something that, that just is unfortunately timeless. Right. And like it's it's very hard to write something that is political that also like holds up in a vacuum and. uh she manages to walk that line, like you said, without getting super specific. Like we're not, she's not specifically talking about 9-11 or right. the Iraq war or stuff like that. Right. But, th th 
that those things are certainly like weighing on the minds of the people in the band. Well, I mean, if I could use an example from cinema, I mean, that's what I think made George Romero's first two zombie movies really successful because they are very political movies and never talk about politics. I mean, the first one deals with race. The second one deals with consumerism and capitalism. And it's, it's set as a B zombie movie. And it's just like, wow, there's a lot in here. And it stood the test of time as a result. Yeah. Well, and the last quote I want to read and, and it speaks to that. So that's perfectly. And, uh, and basically this is Jordan Kleeman again on why the album still speaks to kids today. And he says, that's the million dollar question, but I think it's because the record still sounds unique this many years later. I think that core emotion that Laura exudes in her songwriting just really grabs people. You can hear the authenticity in her voice. The lyrics can be personal, yet also political and kind of funny at times. I think the record also so varied from song to song. You don't have any two songs that are really alike. It's kind of like a mixtape. And I think those things combined are what made it last. I think that kind of just sums it up better than like I ever could. That's, yeah, no, it's, it's, that's, that's a great way. That's that. That's it's nice when someone actually can reflect on their own work that way. I mean, they're very much young kids still finding this album and still being blown away with it in the way that I would have been by stuff like the Ramones and Rancid and Bad Religion and stuff like that when I was a kid. Like this album, like holds up in a way that. Boy, a lot of the music from 2002 did not. <laughs> oh, it's true. I mean, any period, but yeah, that period. We're not doing a fucking podcast where we're breaking down all of the Limp Biscuit lyrics. Let me tell you that. No, because I would have done it. I'd have said no. <laughs> Austin, it's time for the final segment on the show. And this is where we name our best and worst song. And I, and I just want to say that I think it's important to do a best and worst. Um I love this band a lot, but I don't think anything is above criticism. And I think it's also just an interesting way to think about the album uh, that we listen to and sort of go like, I thought this was the fucking height of it. And I thought this was sort of the low point. And uh, I just want to say right off the bat, I love every single fucking song on this album <laughs> i think they're all great i think whatever austin says for worst is wrong and i apologize <laughs> for my pick as well and i'm sorry uh, i think but, it's all subjective everybody feels yeah. different ways about different things i just know every okay. single song on this album is absolutely like a group of people's favorite and uh they're gonna feel attacked but uh <laughs> that's okay so we will start with you austin what was, in your opinion, the worst song on this album? Now, do I want to burn the world down? Or you've already you can say I, it. You've already. I, I think it might be Pints of Guinness make oh you strong. I really Jesus. do. I'm so, God I Almighty! I know. I think we aligned Man, with God. everything else. It's just that song for whatever reason didn't didn't do it for me. Didn't like it. it. It does have like a sort of country western vibe to it that uh, the other songs don't have. Um, so may- maybe that's what you didn't like so much about it. I don't know. I don't know what it was. I-, I don't think it's the worst song. It was my least favorite. I just want to make that clear. Okay. Uh, my worst song, and I, <laughs> I really struggled with this. 
I think if I if I've got to pick something, I I'm gonna go with I still love you, Julie. Um, I just think that was the song that sort of had the least clear message. I think I didn't really do a, a great job of sort of describing what I thought the song was about. Cause I think it's a little ambiguous. Um, and just like, I mean, dude, I love that song, but if I've, I've got to pick something and if I'm ranking these songs, that's the only one that I can look at and go, I have could, some criticism of this. That you could live without if you had to kill yeah. one song on the album. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm going to go with that. So what is, in your opinion, Austin, the best song on this album? I think it is easily Baby, I'm an Anarchist. Okay. For me. I just, that was, I fell in love with that song. It's and such I, a great song. And, and you know, that's the thing. It's like, I've listened to this album three times in my entire life. I think right. that... I know that albums that I've listened to thousands of times, my favorite song has changed and I'm not right. saying that it wouldn't with more, more listens. So this is me coming. I mean, this is the whole project that we're doing. This is me coming as someone who's not had any exposure. And this right. is what I think right now, having listened to this three times, that's my favorite. And that's my least favorite. I think that it's not going to be my best song, even though okay. God, it is so fucking personal to me. And for so many reasons, but I do think it's a song that like I'm never not in the mood to put on. Like you can hear that song at any time and it's good. Right. Like you don't have to be in the mood for it. It just comes on and it's great. And I've heard it hundreds of times and it's still excellent. But my best song, I'm I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Walking is Still Honest. All right. Uh, that to me, I think is the just the most raw and emotional song that's the kind of stuff I love about this band. And I think when I was first getting into them, that, that was my song. This album really did have like a profound impact on my life. And it changed the trajectory of like my, my political views, my religious views, the kind of music that I thought was good. I mean, it very much, I remember thinking for like, a period of like three or four years, they'll just never be any more good bands. Like nobody will ever be good again because against me, it's like as good as it could ever get. So like they they just won't they won't make any more good music after this. Like this is it. I mean, I I like legitimately believe that. Like and then I and, and then I heard another band that I liked one day, and I was like, okay, I guess they are still gonna they're gonna give it a go. There's still a few more out but, there, but uh, yeah. So. That wraps it up for Reinvent and Axel Rose, our first real episode. I think this is going to end up being a very long episode. Could be, yeah. Uh, our, but I think it's fitting. Is it, like I said, the twenty-year anniversary? Right. This is the this is the tribute. This is the kickoff. Well, not the kickoff show, but the first official like real. I consider about. this episode one. This is the first yeah. real episode. Yeah, you label the first episode. Zero. We're just kind of fucking around. Yeah, they, we're getting serious here. Uh, so, I do have a correction. Uh, from last time. So I was looking over things and I talked with Austin and the original plan was for episode two to be all of the early stuff. And I've decided that that is, that's too much to cover in, in one episode. 
So we're going to split the early stuff up into two categories and two episodes. So next time, which will be episode two, we are going to look at what is called the first demo tape. And it's also known as just against me, self-titled, which they have multiple self-titled releases, which gets very confusing. (laughs) But the common name for it is just first demo tape. And that's what we're going to be referring to it as. And it is literally that. It is Laura recording some songs in her, I believe, bedroom. Uh, But I'm not 100% on that. And then we're also going to look at Vavita V, which is essentially a full-length album. But it, it's it's self-recorded. Uh, it's it, and uh, these songs, if you want to listen along, they're not on any streaming services, but you can find them pretty easily on YouTube. Uh, and these are pretty raw songs. These are from '97 and '98, and these are the original Against Me songs. And then on episode three, we are going to cover the early EPs, which are more official releases uh, that were officially recorded and came out on like a very minor record label, but a label that existed in some form. Right, and that's going to be the Crime EP, the Acoustic EP, which is also known as Against Me, uh, and then the Disco Before the Breakdown EP, which technically came after Reinvent Axelrose. So that is a little confusing. And one final thing that I want to mention, uh, there is one thing that we are not going to cover. There is a second uh, self-titled EP that is in between Vavita V and Crime that is just unlistenable. Uh, <laughs> something happened to the mix and nothing against the songs. I know a lot of people really like those songs. But the mix is all fucked up. The songs sound all fucked up and her voice is weird. And like, it, it just doesn't sound good to me. I don't want to listen to it. I'm not going to make Austin listen to it. But <laughs> I am aware that it exists. And I just wanted to mention it. Uh, but we're just, we're just not going to listen to that. I'm sorry. Uh, and then so then episode four. We'll do As the Eternal Cowboy, which is the second album. And then from there it'll be in an order that makes sense to someone besides me. Uh, <laughs> I know the first three episodes, it's, it's kind of weird, but I want to cram everything possible in. And I think it's important to listen to those early songs. So the next two albums, we're going to see how we got to where we were on this episode with reinventing Axel Rose. And we'll hear some early versions of some of the songs we heard here. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm ready. All right. So I guess, is there anything that you want to plug Austin? I, uh, you, if you enjoy hearing my voice, which bless you, if you do, uh, I do another podcast about grifters and charlatans and con men called if you catch my grift. And now, Austin, am I, am I right? Did you recently launch a Patreon page we for that did. podcast? We did launch a Patreon. So if you, if you do listen and you really like us and you want to support us, you can 
you can throw us a few bucks. We want to be we want to be the opposite of a grifter and be completely honest with everybody about where this money's going. Right now, it's just going to pay me back for hosting this podcast for the last year. Uh, but yeah, no, it's 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 live. Uh, we also have a, a piece of merch that goes into support, like I mentioned at the top of the show, for um, Equity Texas, and you can find that at if you catch my grift dot. Uh, bigcartel.com. Uh, it's a cool shirt. Uh, all the proceeds go to that nonprofit in support of trans lives, uh, specifically in Texas. That's all I got. You guess you can find me on Twitter at Austin Agogo. Send complaints, all the hate mail. Just send it to me. I can take it. Don't send it to Dwayne. He means well. I swear to fucking God, if even one person tweets at Austin and says, hey, I really like and and don't just say it. Be sincere. It says no. I really like Limp Biscuit and Apes of the State. Like I can't tell you <laughs> how fucking happy that would make me. So yeah, uh, and check out Apes of the States. <laughs> we should have just done an Apes of the State podcast. That maybe have, season two. They only have two albums. We could have been fucking in and out of this in no time. See, that's what it happens. The season the season just gets smaller and cement. Yeah, I think a- they have a live album too. And they got yeah. We could probably. You know, we could probably squeeze it into four, and then release. We're not doing an Apes of the State podcast. We could we could make four episodes of an (laughs) Apes of the State podcast and release it as an NFT. Oh yeah, that'd be so. All right, cool. I don't really have anything to plug, but one thing I did want to say, very sincerely here, is I want to give a big thank you to Ed, Pat, and Jonah from Pod Van Dam, as well as Dalton, Austin's co-host on If You Catch My Grift. Without those guys, this podcast would absolutely not be happening. Um, I don't have a lot of confidence in myself, and I never imagined uh, doing anything like this, like any kind of public, what do you call this public speaking, but uh, doing something and putting it out publicly. Uh, But those guys have always been super supportive and have given me the confidence to do this. And they, I, Ed and Dalton may be the only people that listen to this. So I just want to say thank you very fucking much. I love you guys. And uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I am at Age of the Fever. And we will see you next time where we're going to talk about some true DIY music. Music that was self-recorded, self-released. And uh Yeah. It's not going to be as in-depth or as long as this episode, hopefully, but uh, we'll see. All right. All right. Stay beautiful.